0: All right, well welcome everyone. I'm here with my friend Al Ingler, and this is our second in a series of Facebook Lives that we're doing this month on how to live the ancient faith in modern times. Um, here just a bit we're going to be diving into our topic for tonight which is reforming your understanding of church. Why that's important and how you can get started doing that But before we do that, both Al and I are going to share this broadcast over on our personal Facebook pages, so give us just a minute to do that. That'll help more people see this video and join us if they want to do that. All right. Well, if you're new here and we haven't met, my name is Andrew Stroud, and I'm the project lead at Into the Harvest. And our mission is all about bringing faith into the 21st century. We want to help ordinary believers take the message and the mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. And that's why we're doing this conversation. It's going to be extremely relevant to doing that. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, who's interested in in doing that and living out his message and his mission not just on Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, then this uh, this evening's conversation is gonna help you do that. As I mentioned earlier, today's conversation is part of a series we're doing all month here in February that we're calling Ancient Faith in Modern Times. And I'm excited about this series because I believe every person, every generation has to reignite the faith in their own life, in their own time, in their generation, They have to to make it, they have to live it out in a way that's relevant to the place where they live, the culture that they're a part of. And even though the object of our faith doesn't change, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, faith itself is very dynamic. It's something that needs to change and that needs to be constantly updated because faith is something that we're walking by. We're, We're walking by faith and not by sight. And we want to be doing that in a way that's relevant in our own lives and in the society that that we're a part of. So every Monday this month, I'm going to be joined by a special guest. And we're going to talk about a different topic that will help you better live out the ancient faith that we all share in the modern time that we all live in. So Al is my guest tonight, and um, I'm going to introduce him here in just a minute but uh, I know we're gonna have people joining us from all over the country and really even all around the world. So um, do me a favor, go ahead and let us know in the comments where you're at right now, where are you watching this from in the world? It would definitely be fun to see where everybody is located at. So just leave a comment right now with the city or the state or the country in the world that uh, you're watching tonight's live broadcast from. Uh, I know Al now for probably more than 12 years. Yeah. I, I think that that's right. Um, we worked alongside each other very closely, really between 2007 and 2013 or 14. We were both up in the northwest in the Seattle area. Al and his wife, Iris, lived in Seattle, and my family lived in the South Sound area down south of Tacoma, uh, closer to Olympia. Um, we also served alongside one another on a leadership team that was ministering to the military during those years. Uh, Al leads a ministry called Navigators Neighbors, which has a very similar mission to what we're doing with Into the Harvest. So that's uh, one of the main reasons why I want to talk with you tonight because I think there's a whole lot of parallels and a lot of like-mindedness and like-heartedness. So a few things that I've always admired about you, Al. First, you're, you're a learner. I, I don't see you as someone who has certain views and then five years later I meet you and you're talking about the same things right. and you're inflexible. You really want to learn and what we were talking about earlier with reigniting the faith. You're someone that's doing that constantly. Um, secondly, and I think this is going to come into play tonight, I hope, uh, I think you're someone who can take big themes and big ideas and do a great job of breaking them down and explaining them so that they can be lived out in very practical ways, which is kind of what we wanna do tonight. We wanna take these big truths about church and then we wanna break them down into practical steps that we can take to live them out. The third thing that I would say is that I think you're a great friend. Um, I know I myself have been through a lot of changes over the years, my family has. Um, I've always felt that you were someone that I could talk to, and that you would want to listen, and that you would want to understand, so I definitely appreciate that about you. So thanks for joining me tonight, Al, to uh, talk about reforming our understanding of church. Before we dive in, um, we were not supposed to be doing this together in person. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We were going to do the same thing that Cecil and I did last week, where I'm down here in San Diego, you're up in Seattle, and we, we live cast together at the same time. But here you are, sitting in my living room.
1: So how, how is it that this came to be? That's kind of funny, I, I, I think this is what the Lord wanted. Uh, some of you may know that uh, there's a, what we call snowpocalypse going on <laughs> in, uh, in Seattle right now. We were in Albuquerque this weekend, conducting a seminar on how to love your neighbor better. And uh, then we could not get out uh, uh, to Seattle. So we were diverted to San Diego uh, and actually we'll start our vacation tomorrow. So rather than fly home for two days uh, and then fly out to Hawaii for vacation, uh, Alaska Airlines work things so that we actually fly to Hawaii from here in San Diego. Now, the interesting thing is we will have a suitcase full of flannel shirts <laughs> and uh, warm clothing. That we're taking to Hawaii that, uh, I'm not quite sure what we'll do. I'll cut off some jeans, I guess, or something. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, what a treat to be able to just get these little bit of time with you. And I didn't have to mess with all the tech that you were teaching me how to, how to do this. Just, just sit here on your couch. Kind of nice.
0: So I've got this mental picture of you in a pair of jorts <laughs> <laughs> sitting on a beach. Yeah. With a flannel shirt, maybe the sleeves cut off. If this happens, I want photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You give me ideas. No, it's really cool. Al, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, uh, sent me a text and then we jumped on a phone call and he told me, hey, I'm actually going to be over in San Diego tomorrow. So, um, This is exciting, man. I'm really glad that you're joining us and that we're able to do it in the flesh, face to face. Um, This topic of reforming our understanding of church, again, we want to talk about why is that important to do and then how can we begin doing it, but I wonder if you could take us back just to your own story. What was your experience with church growing up and and how did that shape your understanding of church Throughout the years and even now into your, your work with Navigators Neighbors.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I really had never, uh, attended a church service or been in a church that I can remember growing up at all. And, uh, I joined the army when I was 17 and, and spent uh, about four years in. And on my second tour in Germany, I met a, a person who was a follower of Jesus and whose life actually caused me to consider the claims of Christ and who took me through the scripture and, and basically led me into a personal relationship with Christ and poured his life into me. And so uh, I don't know why, but he didn't even talk to me about going to chapel uh, until he had discipled me for a while. So I think the first time I went to a worship service I probably already had memorized maybe 20 verses and uh, was having quiet time every day and was reading my Bible and kind of thought all believers did those things. And it was actually quite eye opening. Uh, I, I went into this chapel service and had, uh, you know, kind of was growing in a pretty strong vibrant relationship with, with the Lord but I had never sung out of a hymnal. I saw these guys standing up and sitting down and I didn't know how they knew when to do that. And it was just very unusual for me, uh, but that was really my introduction. And then we, we've we spent a number of years overseas. So uh, being part of kind of a traditional uh, type of church has not been a significant part of my of my life. Now, I think the advantage of that is it causes me to look through kind of different eyes uh, not to say I've never been to a church service or those types of things, but but I do see it probably differently because I don't have that strong background. It, I came to it later in life, and somewhat after I after I was already following Jesus for a time. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll loop
0: back to something you said there about you had never been in that that setting, the, the church service, the gathering. Yes. And uh, something that I definitely want to, to dive into, which we will is understanding church beyond the gathering. Right. Um, many of us um, can struggle with that. When we think of church, we think of something that's happening on Sunday um, at a certain place, at a certain time, that looks a certain way. And part of what we need to do in reforming our understanding of church is enlarge that understanding of church beyond that, that very limited time of gathering together on sunday because certainly when we go to the scriptures that's what we see that church is a much more robust thing right than just what's happening on sunday but you didn't grow up with that sunday morning experience and maybe that's maybe that's actually been a good thing
1: for you in your adult years yeah i think it's i think it's been helpful yeah in fact uh A few of us in the military were probably living more of a New Testament view of church, though we didn't have that name. And then we added on chapel, and it's quite a different thing in the sense that there's an opportunity to even influence people that are just wandering in. It's not quite the same as a congregation that sticks together. It's a military environment. But yeah, I think that that and living overseas, both of those have have caused me to think differently. And then as the years have gone by, just studying uh, what what uh, the example of church is in the scripture, and what uh, Jesus teaches about church, and then trying to to see how do you live that? I mean, basically, what we're talking about today. So, yeah. yeah. So
0: there is a. Um, I think what we'll we'll dive into right now is our our popular conceptions of church and and where they come from, how we got them. All of us are are captive of we're captives of the moment we're we're captives of the the time and the place where we're born and we, we kind of grow up within uh, a certain culture within a certain society and there are a lot of things that are are just unquestioned we, we there are a lot of assumptions we bring with us into different aspects of life certainly church is one of those things that, that i believe most people whether they're people of faith or whether they don't have faith whether they're Openly against faith, um, and view themselves as atheist, they still have an idea or a concept of church that's being driven by this popular, these popular notions that are out there. So I thought, um, uh, what we do is maybe take a very quick blitz through church history as a way of trying to bring us up to this moment that we now live in. I heard a story a few months back about two two young fish that are swimming along through the water and they're going about their, their daily activity. And an older fish is swimming in the opposite direction. And as he, he passes these two young fish, he says, you know, good morning boys. How's the water? And, uh, they don't really know what to answer him. So they swim on a bit and then one fish turns to the other and says, you know, what, what is water? Uh, just the idea being that, that, we're so immersed in the, the culture and the, uh, the view, the world view that we're birthed into that sometimes we can really even have a hard time seeing where these biases are. And so if we think about church history, it's one of the lenses that you can use to try to really get your arms around, well, what is the church? We're going to talk about the scriptures too, because that's probably the ultimate lens that we need to be looking at to get our understanding of church. But church history itself can be very informative. It can be very helpful in helping you shape a better understanding of church and certainly how we got to our current understanding of church, which is something that the scriptures really don't speak to. You know, how is it that we've come to view this, this event on Sunday at a certain place? That's something church history can can tell us probably better than the scriptures themselves. So for folks out there who may have never really looked into church history, let me just suggest that you can think of church history in three broad eras. And the first one is from Pentecost to Constantine, which is in the early 4th century, so sometime in the early 300s. You can think of that as the first era of church history, this first 300-year period. And You could really think of this as the Wild West days of the church. So the apostles, they go out from Jerusalem in all directions, and they're sharing the message about Jesus. They're bearing witness uh, about him and his life and his resurrection. And churches are being formed as people come to faith. And because it's so decentralized, there's a lot of variation from place to place in terms of doctrine, in terms of practice, um, in terms of uh, recognized leadership, especially after the apostles pass off the stage of history and you've got the next generation of church leaders. But even towards the end of that 300 year era, um, the church has begun to consolidate and uh, some, some basic forms and practices are taking shape But all of that really comes together after Emperor Constantine in the early 300s. And Constantine himself, uh, his conversion happens as he's struggling for the throne Mm. to become emperor. There's a a funny story about how Constantine, as he approaches the river where he's going to cross over um, and do battle for the city of Rome, he sees a cross and then he... He knows that that's his sign, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the chosen emperor. He's going to win this fight. And so he baptizes his army uh, by standing at the river and splashing the river with his sword towards his soldiers. And we had our first uh, Christian army there uh, in the early 300s. So uh, what Constantine really begins to do is he brings Christianity. First, he makes it legal. Up until that point, it had not been recognized as a legal religion within the Roman Empire. And he really sets it on a path to become the preferred religion of the Roman state. And so you really have the the coming together of church and state. And Constantine doesn't like all of this variation within the church. He wants there to be one coherent doctrine, set of doctrines. He wants there to be a single um organization of leadership and so that really becomes the second era uh, imperial christianity certainly in the west uh, which is what most of us are familiar with so from around 300 until 1500 you've got this second era of christianity um where there's a there's a real merger of church and state and there's not a lot of um diversity within the church um it is definitely frowned upon. And then you have the third era, which is with the Protestant Reformation. And that's something that's been going on over the past four or five hundred years. And that's what we all grow up with. And for those of us who grew up in a Protestant tradition, it's what we're familiar with when it comes to church. And it's what uh, really shapes our understanding of the church. And the Protestant Reformers... There were things about the Catholic Church that, that they wanted to see brought more in alignment with Scripture. So they wanted to reform the church, not necessarily splinter the church into a lot of different uh, Protestant versions of the Catholic Church. But ultimately, that's, that's what happened. Is we have a lot of churches now, and in a sense, we've almost returned back to the Wild West where you've got a lot of different ways of, of gathering and practicing our faith. But in another sense, what the reformers started back in the 1500s, the 1600s, it, it, it stopped short of reforming a lot of the, the forms and the practices of church. And so a lot of what we, we understand and practice of church is still driven by this model, which was very codified by the Catholic Church between 300 and 1500 AD. And I would even suggest that I I think that we may well be at the beginning of a fourth era, that we have an opportunity right now, which is probably most similar to what those earliest Christians had in those first 300 years, because we have so much freedom to live out our faith and to gather uh, without opposition, either from the state or from an overpowering church, centralized church that is going to prevent you from doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're much closer to the first century now, I think, than than maybe we have been since 300 AD. So when we think about popular conceptions of church, the way it looks right now is not the way it has always looked. And even if you traveled back a few hundred years, people's understanding of church would be different than what it is right now. And so we should respect what we see from the church as it currently exists, but we should also understand how did we get here. And we should understand the freedoms that we have to to be the church and to live as the church um, in ways that might look different than, than what a lot of us are familiar with, um, so I, I don't know. I know I was going to kind of share that that quick cursory
1: view of history. Anything that you want to? No, I think you I think you covered it really well, and it's it is helpful to think about how we got here. We can we can sometimes we'll read the word church in the scripture, and it creates this picture in our mind that is really cultural. And based on the time period we're in. So it's helpful to just reflect on that. And hopefully it does give us freedom to to respond to what the Holy Spirit might be doing in our time, in our place.
0: Well, this is going to play into, we wanted to start with this quick review of how did we get here? Because there are some modern forces that are coming to bear on those of us who are in the church, which continue to shape the way we understand and certainly the way that we practice church. And we talked about some of those this past week when we were talking on the phone. Now. So what are what are some of the things that you see, some of the forces that you see really shaping our understanding of pra- and practice of church here in the 21st century?
1: Yeah, well, there are a few. I mean, one I've, I've thought about a lot lately is, is just the topic of community. So both what, what do the scriptures teach about community, but then where are we in terms of community? So a few things that I think most of us probably would, would agree with, but that we maybe haven't lived into the implications. Uh, Community is a, is a human need. It's not just a Christian thing. When God created man, he created him, created us for community to be in community with one another. Uh, So if you're, I would say in our society, our culture, we've replaced a a community with an idol of privacy. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the more affluent you become, the more privacy you attempt to Mm -hmm. buy. And it leads to emptiness. And so so it's helpful to me to look at what did Jesus do with community in his time? And I think the problem with the community in which Jesus lived was not the fragmentation that we have in our community. The problem back then was Uh, There was a solid, strong community, but certain people were excluded from it. So you see Jesus, uh, a lot of what he was doing was helping people who were excluded to be back included into the the community. This is why, in my opinion, when he heals a leper, for example, he tells that person, go show yourself to the priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus had more authority than the priest, but the priest in that culture was the keeper of community and this leper was outside, so Jesus is bringing them back in. Now, that is not our problem today. So we can apply the principle, but our problem really is fragmentation. There, there almost is no sense of community. Our families are disintegrating and where that hurts the advance of the gospel is that the gospel is designed to flow through relational connections. So it's almost like we've got these pipes through which the gospel ought to flow and they're broken.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so we don't, we don't have mm-hmm. community. Now the second a- area besides community that, that these kind of play with each other is this thing that, uh, that is called consumerism. Mm-hmm. And I would say consumerism is probably the strongest satanic, uh, construct or stronghold in our society, at least in US society today and probably in the Western Western society. Uh, so consumerism, one of the things it does is it divides us. So it works against community because the more you're divided, the more stuff you'll buy, the more services you'll pay for. Uh, if you know uh, people and are connected to people, you just don't, frankly, you just don't have to buy as much stuff. In some ways it explains why we've segmented even our, you know, whatever news you listen to or read, Oh, yeah. uh, we're putting people in these tribes and playing them against one another uh, because uh, it feeds into into consumerism and so that is such an opportunity for the people of God to live a countercultural narrative to the narrative of consumerism. If we live differently, if we live generously and and uh, in a sense of community connected to the broader community, the opportunity to change the world is right there for us. Hmm. but in fact, what has happened. Is that the church in our time has bought into consumerism. Right. <laughs> so like just one, one thought would be if you, if you just think about this statement, maybe you've even said this or you've definitely known people that, that, that have said something like this. Well, I go to this church because, or we go to this church because we really like the, the worship. Right. So just about every aspect of that sentence shows a misunderstanding of reality, church, community, and shows an infection of consumerism. Why Mm -hmm. is that? Well, first of all, the church, one of the things that really helps me with understanding church is replacing the word church with the word family. Mm -hmm. So you to just try that sometime. When you're gonna use the word church, just try putting the word family in there, and it should make sense. So I go to family makes no sense whatsoever. Right. now the question, for instance, how often does your family gather? Well, that makes grammatical sense, <laughs> but that's probably not a question you, you ask. Oh, you have a family? Well, how often do your family gather? Yeah, right. Now families do gather, of course. Yeah. It's just not the main driver. So, so, uh, and then this idea that, well, I go there because the worship speaks to me or I like the worship. So right. that's a mentality of a consumer right. who's looking out on what Religious goods and services are being offered. Or
0: or even like this pastor really, he teaches expositionally, and that's what I think is very important. I want to go to a church where the pastor is teaching the Word. Teaching the Word is a good thing, and expository teaching is a great way to teach the Word. Right. But if that is the driving factor that is determining what church you're going to go to, then... Maybe that's something you should take a step back. Um I do want to go to family and, and we're okay. gonna we're gonna talk about church as family, but I, I want to stay just a little bit more on these two forces of fragmentation and consumerism. Yes. To me, these are that story about the fish swimming through the water. Right. That's the water. The, yeah. the, the, the forces of fragmentation that are bearing down on us in the church. Yes. They're much bigger than the church. So right. it's not just something that the church is dealing with. Society and, and our culture, definitely in the United States, um, is is being radically affected by fragmentation. And so you you come into your neighborhood, you pull into your driveway, you push the remote, the garage door opens, you pull in, you push the remote, the garage door closed. Um, Many of us don't even know our neighbors. We don't talk to them. We right. don't interact with them. It's a picture of fragmentation. That's right. But it affects the church where many of us will drive past, will drive 10 miles past 20 church buildings right. uh, to go to the church that we want to go to. And right. so there's a fragmentation happening there. And again, just like you said, consumerism um, I did not realize how recent a force that is. I mean, the rise of consumer goods is something that really took off in the 1910s, the 1920s. So these are, in the his- viewed from the lens of history, these are very new forces that societies are having to grapple with and that we as the church, we need to fight to understand that there's water around us that is influencing the way that that we go about our daily lives as the
1: church. Yeah, and I would say if we could live a different uh, a different story in the midst of this, it's a little bit like the verse that says, uh, "Live as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation." Right. So if it's a really dark situation. We don't even have to be that great at being lights. We can be <laughs> yeah. just kind of mediocre lights, but you're great because yeah. it's so dark. And I think if we live this, uh, not uh, kind of a holistic life that's a little bit more localized, it's a little bit more connected, yeah. uh, it will stand out. But in fact, generally what, what I observe is that it, just about, you know, believer, non-believer, no matter where you are with your faith in the U.S., you're living a fragmented life. Right. And my experience is that most Believers are living more fragmented lives because mm-hmm. they, they take the normal fragmented life that everybody else lives and then they add religious stuff onto it. So right. in addition to all the fragmentation, they're running to this gym or they're going to this store. They're going, you know, back and forth. They also are picking these particular segments of the religious yes. uh, landscape that they're going to be part of, right. which further fragments
0: their life. So yeah. And that's why we, we want to talk about ordinary believers living out the faith in everyday places, because I I agree with you 100%. I think as Christians, we've allowed ourselves to become even more fragmented because this is just another sub-segment of of our lives. But I think that that's great. Uh, your, your, Your practice of substituting the word family for church, I agree with that. Most of us would not say what time does family start or where do you go to family? But it really is the the number one way that church is described in the scriptures. And one thing that could be helpful for folks is so many times we're trying to define the church or we're trying to say that you need, if if you're the church, then these things need to be present. um, And you need to have these functions happening. And what we're trying to do there is we're really trying to nail down a concrete definition of the church, but the New Testament it, it really doesn't define the church. It, it goes to great lengths to describe it, and the number one way that it describes church is as family. And this this is so implicit that it's easy for us to miss. And so Jesus came and he made known to his disciples the Father, and he gave them the right to become children of God. And so we are in this relationship now with God because we belong to Christ. God is our father. We are his sons and daughters. We're his children. Um, we are also brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, when you come to faith, it's described as birth. I mean, once you begin yeah, to understand yeah, right? that, okay, um, church, if I can start reforming my understanding yeah. away from place, event, and towards what does it mean to to be part of this family of faith and what would it look like to live out an integrated life with fellow members of of this family then i think um i think we're well on the way to reforming our understanding of of church which is going to actually help us
1: live it out so um do you have some other thoughts on yeah i think i think the other thing there are kind of two truths that i think will get us back and we've talked about this one, family, which I think is huge. The other one would be rooted in a place. Yes. So when you see the epistles addressed, they're, they're, they're usually addressed to a church in a location. So it wasn't based on doctrinal beliefs or denominations, all those things that are part of our era. It was to the church, the family of God in this place. Right. And so it just seems that, um, you know, going back to community is a human need. So all humans, regardless of where they are in the faith, they, they need, uh, they need community. But then God has put his people in particular locations. And in some ways, if they could connect with each other and with that broader community, boy, you'd have a beautiful picture of what the kingdom of God, uh, could look like on this earth.
0: Yeah. So we, we, we don't want to think of church as, as being a place. Right. That this brick and mortar structure, there are church buildings, but we never want to confuse church buildings for the church. There are church services, but those are, are distinct from the church. But the church as a family needs to exist in a localized setting. And right. it was something as we were talking about, um, this time together that, that I really enjoyed is coming to this understanding that Family is such a beautiful description of church because it can telescope to accommodate uh, just as we're all part of extended families that may may be scattered all around the country and the world. In the same way, those of us who belong to Christ, we're we're part of a larger family that, that exists all over the world. But we still need to be part of of a nuclear family. We need to be rooted um, in a place, and we're gonna talk some more about how to do that. Um, but let me, uh, let me just pause right there and let folks know that if you're watching right now, we are gonna have some time here in about 10, 15 minutes for some Q&A. So if there are some things that we've already talked about um, or maybe that we didn't talk about that you would like to hear uh, Al's thoughts on, we're going to have some time where you can put those in the comments and we'll take a stab at trying to, to answer them around this topic of reforming our understanding of church. So be thinking about those and put those in the comments um, and we'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, also, if you've joined us recently, um, we're talking about reforming your understanding of church and how that will help you live out the ancient faith in modern times it's part of a larger series that we're doing throughout the month of February. But if you know someone who you think would benefit from this conversation, would be interested in this topic, go ahead and tag them in the comments so that they can see this video at some point. And if it's helpful, that'll be, that'll be great. But why don't we shift into some practical ways? So we've kind of talked about the history. We've talked about these modern forces, yeah. maybe some better ways of understanding church what are some practical ways that we as, as modern believers can begin to live out this understanding of church?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one, uh, one passage that's meant a lot to me lately, Acts 17, 26, and 27, where it speaks about the boundaries and the times and places that God set for us. So if we can begin to see w- w- where God has put us, you know, the, uh, the relational network, our neighborhoods, maybe our workplaces, but think about those things and then realize that in our time, uh, the body of Christ is present in those places. Uh, so we're all members of one another as a body, the, the scriptures teach, but uh, my friend Paul Spark says, but the church is dismembered. Uh, that is, there's, you know you might have an arm living a block away from you or a foot right down the hall from you that you really need, but you just haven't thought about the idea that we need to be connected in this place. So that's one lens would be uh, to think about, well, where are the other people of faith, followers of Jesus in my sphere? And then begin to dialogue with them about, hey, how can we connect with one another for the flourishing of this place where God has planted us as followers of Jesus? So that, that would be one so, way so, of getting started. So that would be purposely counteracting this,
0: this fragmentation. I, yes just realizing that if you're in a work center or you're in a neighborhood or you're in just a certain location um, there are believers all around you that you probably don't even know and purposely beginning to to pray and to seek out meaningful connection with with those other believers even if on Sunday morning you end up going to a different, Sunday service, or even if some of them aren't going to a Sunday service, right? you and want that, to go on a treasure hunt to find who are yes. the fellow believers. And that,
1: you know, that's something I've grown in in the last five or six, seven, eight years. I think I have such a heart for people that don't know Jesus that in my previous neighborhood, we had a, a believing couple across the street. We were pretty good friends with them. But my general attitude toward them was, they're fine. You know, they get in right. their car, they go somewhere on Sunday, right. they're good. Let me concentrate on all the rest of the folks who are not going anywhere on Sunday. But I, I've repented of that, actually. I think, no, we're, we're part of this family, and we need to be asking each other the question, how do we bring flourishing, a, a sense of the kingdom of God to this place together? Because it's not a coincidence God has, has uh, put us uh, in this particular place. So... Uh, yeah, so that's been an attitude change for for me. Uh, I think the other thing that kind of relates to that is for us to do a bit more of an assessment on our gatherings and activities. So, I you know, I hope you don't hear, and Andrew just said it, we're not saying don't go to a, a Sunday gathering or don't attend some kind of a Bible study or any kind of grouping together of the uh, of. For other people to help one another. But Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, a very familiar verse that says, Hey, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, hmm. not forsaking assembling together. But the, the idea of the assembling together is to help each other live out this faith in the everyday, ordinary day to day. So that, so really in some ways, these gatherings, they're practice for life. So one one way to assess the gathering, as opposed to, oh, this really fed me, or I felt good, or I liked the teaching, or I liked the music. You know, the common refrain and all that is I, 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 but assess it through, is this helping us live out the faith in day-to-day life? So if I can make a case to myself that going to a Sunday gathering, even if I have to drive some distance in our society, I'd, I'd recommend try to consider how not to do that. But if you are doing it, if you can at least tell yourself how that's helping you live out the love of Christ in the day-to-day in your community, then it, maybe it's worth it. Right. Or conversely,
0: if if what's really driving it is, what's going to better help me live out the faith right where I already am, then it may be a, it may be a reason to... To approach it differently, the the way that you're not only thinking about church, but the way you're trying to engage as a member of the church of Jesus,
1: um, and try to be more rooted in, in your specific place. I I think that's the primary posture that we ought to be taking. And what we ought to be doing is trusting God for within that community, a committed community, a community, a community that is Right. made a commitment to one another and to this broader place together. I mean that's the ideal. I think that's really what what the Lord longs for. Now we're all in different spaces. You you, you may have to trust God for that, but I think a community that lives and, and is in proximity to one another that gathers right. to really help one another, that's probably it's what's needed in this in yeah. this time.
0: I really like that. So I I think that is one practical thing that I would like to encourage people when you think about finding a church. Um, what should be driving that? What I would, what I would encourage you to have as, as the driving question is who are the believers that the Lord wants me to be family with in this place that we're going to live out our Christian faith together throughout the week in this place to represent Jesus and to share Him with others, that should absolutely be what's driving it, more so than the consumerism questions that... And that's, that's kind of hard to say because probably most of us have been there. Um, and the people that the Lord may want you to be family with um, may not always be fun to be around. So it may not always be uh, feeding what you want from church but the, the question should not just be which which Sunday service best fits with what I already believe and understand about scriptures and appeals to what I'm comfortable with and what I like in terms of the, the format and the music style. Uh, if you could set that aside completely and and just start off by saying, Lord, I know that there are some believers that are in this same place and who are involved in the same rhythms as I am, would you help me find who those people are so that I can commit to being in family connection with them, which goes far beyond just the gathering. Um, But I would say that's absolutely a a practical first step that people can take is define who is in your church family. There's gonna be a lot of other believers, even in your local city, but find the ones that the Lord wants you to be family with, in your place, and then begin committing yourself to them. Well, we're going to shift over to some Q and A, and I'm going to bring this up on my my laptop because it's a little hard to read what's on the uh, the screen there. But if you have some questions based on what we've already covered in this on this topic of reforming your understanding of church. We would, uh, we'd love to spend a few minutes trying to respond to those. We've got Al here for a few more minutes. We are gonna keep this live under an hour. So we've got about, uh, 10 minutes or so to answer questions if you guys have any. Would, uh, would love to hear those from you guys. And then what we're gonna do, uh, what we'll finish up with at the end, is uh we'll give you guys some practical resources that you can continue developing your own understanding and wrestling with living this out in, in your local context. So that's kind of how we'll wrap up our time together here. Um, I know we've got a question, but it's really hard to read. And it hasn't popped up on my computer screen yet, so... <laughs> Let me just lean forward and try to read it here. This is from um, Ryan Bailey. And let's see. All right. Got one here from Will. Will Sage. He says, Al, what has been one of your greatest successes and failures amongst or with your neighbors
1: as you've lived out church? Oh, well, uh, boy, there's, there's a lot of failures and a lot of successes. Hey, Will, good to good to hear from you. Uh, I think uh, when we moved into the neighborhood we live in now, we, we've lived there now for 11 years, we had been coaching a small community of people who had actually decided to move into that neighborhood for the good of that place. And we just loved those guys. And so when I was asked with the Navigators to move into Seattle, it kind of was no question, hey, we're going to move into that neighborhood. And there was about five years of just, we all lived within walking distance. We were connected relationally. We were deeply connected to one another. We got together early on Tuesday mornings and prayed. And we saw a number of people uh, begin a walk of faith during that time. That's probably one of the highlights of my life. Uh, so that, that would be one that's been phenomenal. Um, uh, one, one real highlight more recently has been, uh, our next door neighbor who just recently moved out, uh, hosted a lot of just parties and gatherings and introduced us into a, just a wide variety of, of uh, networks of interesting people that we probably wouldn't have met without, uh, without them, uh, being gatekeepers. So that's been really, really good. Uh, failure, boy, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I would say, uh, without telling too much detail, uh, conflict happens in, in, uh, proximity. See, this is with this consumeristic mindset with church, what happens there is we go to a church and then, uh, somebody, we don't like somebody and maybe they're in power or something like that. So what do we do? Well, we just go to another one. So it's almost like you don't like a friend on Facebook. You delete them. I mean, we do that with churches. Mm -hmm. But if it's in your neighborhood, in your place, and you have conflict, you really got to work it out. Uh, and so I've learned uh, that that conflict is kind of a stewardship issue when God brings that across, a, uh, you know, kind of across a believer's path. So I'm not sure I want to share the details, but <laughs> but I, I you know we uh, recently a couple years ago we were responsible for getting uh, getting our 12 unit townhome con- uh, complex painted, and so I was kind of point person for that. And man, I cannot tell you how much conflict came out of that between between the painters and the neighbors, between the neighbors and each other, between the neighbors and me. And uh, there were a lot of opportunities to uh, humble ourselves and apologize and demonstrate uh, forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. And so I don't know if that was a failure now that I look back on it, but at the time it was sure feeling like a failure. It's like, here's this guy supposed to be big on loving his neighbors and he's getting his neighbors... Ticked at him just about eight oh, colors and <laughs> styles and that kind of thing. So, well,
0: again, like thinking about church as family, um, I don't know about your guys' family, but my family is messy, whether it's uh, my personal family with my kids. It is often uh, there is conflict that, that is part of being in a family. So, I think just the presence of conflict and tension itself, in a sense, is it's normative. It, it should be maybe a sign that, hey, we're, we're around each other enough and we're trying to interact enough that there's friction. And that in itself is not bad. Now we have to actually learn how to work through that yes. scripturally based on the Bible's values. But I would even just say expect there to be conflict. And uh, that's a part of living out our life as the church is learning how to do that together. Um, we've got another question here. If a community of believers should be encouraging and discussing ways to reach out to those who are not yet believers or nominal believers, how do you personally do this with your families and how do you have this conversation with your kids? Because it really begins here with our families.
1: Yeah, I mean, um I think... One of the things I've been saying a lot lately is uh, we tend to say we, we should be reaching our neighbors. Uh, let's reach our neighbors or our friends or our, you know, families. And I'm not sure that's the thing to lead with. I mean, that's definitely not what Jesus talks about. He talks about loving your neighbors. Uh, and so I think if we make our, our, our goal to be loving people, and I would say that applies in your family too. You're, a phrase we use is you're trying to weave a fabric of love and care. So then in the midst of that, uh wh- you know, where does love flow from? Well, as followers of Jesus, we feel like it, it flows from him. So you have all kinds of opportunities to discuss him. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, just a difference in view of the thing. Um I don't know if this illustration works, but This idea of reaching is almost like, you know, Jesus used the example of fishing, fishing for men. We don't like jump into the water and try to grab the fish. I mean, we, we, there's a, there's a rhythm to it and the fish actually have a choice in the matter of what they're going to do. So, I mean, there's just a sense of, in some ways, take it off of your shoulders to achieve certain results, attempt to be faithful. And I would say be faithful specifically in the way of love. That's, that's really what's been tasked to us. Yeah, that's good. Um, we have uh, another
0: one that was here about, it didn't show up on the larger screen here. So Ryan, I'm going to try to paraphrase what I think I, I read from you. It had to do with community and how believers who are more familiar with a traditional church that meets on Sunday, how do you begin to cast vision for something beyond that? Um, without necessarily just going to a house church model, and in, in a sense having the same set of issues, it's just now it's happening in a, a residential space instead of uh, a sacred space like a church building. Are there ways of casting vision for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think in some ways let go of what people do. What, it, you know, I don't think what Andrew and I have been talking about here is house church versus. Traditional model. We're talking about how the family of God needs to live the day to day life together in community. So if you, you invite other people in, I mean, these are people that, uh, say they, they love Jesus who told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I, I mean, I often just say, Oh, you're a, you're a follower of Jesus too. Hey, what could we do together here to, to bring more of a sense of love and care? Uh, to this place, or you know, depending on where the person is, uh, I have a habit of walking and praying through my neighborhood. So I've invited a f- several people to do that with me over the over the years. So hey, I walk and pray for the neighborhood. Would you like to do that with me? So rather than you know, kind of competing in some ways, it can it can become well house church versus this thing, mega church versus small church. That's mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about. The the people of God, the family of God linked together and working together, exercising their gifts and the way God's made them for the flourishing of this place. So kind of be invitational in that regard. And actually, I think if you, you know, kind of higher level of this, you can even invite people that are not yet of faith. You you, you can be on the lookout for kingdom minded people who just are trying to do good and and collaborate with them as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that there's more and more of those types of people in our society as, as our society here in the West moves further and further away from, from an open posture to, towards faith to one that is, is less and less about that and even perhaps more and more opposed to uh, that. Those people are still out there, people who are inclined towards faith. Um, and so we're going to be able to Find those people if we're praying and we're looking with eyes to see well, well friends I know that there are some other questions I think we'll do this Al how about um, we'll both look through the comments here off this video and we'll try to respond in writing to some of your questions that we weren't able to answer here during the the live broadcast so if you've had a question or you're still trying to type it out finish typing it out we will uh, respond to that here over the next 24 hours and keep the conversation going in the comments about how do we reform our understanding of church and, and maybe some practical ways to live that out. We did want to give a few practical resources for you guys to take and, and dig a little bit deeper. So Al, I know you had a couple that you wanted to recommend yeah i mean
1: a book i would recommend is called the new parish uh it's by tim sorens paul sparks and dwight friesen these are three people that live in the seattle area i know at least two of them really well i know all three of them uh, they've helped us a lot on this area of allowing place to define and give boundaries for the church so they just give you kind of a new lens through which to uh to view church i find that to be helpful uh, our website uh, navneighbors.org uh, i write and actually some of our staff do write a an ongoing series of of uh, blogs there you can jump in kind of the middle or you can get back to the beginning and follow the thread i think the one that's up at the top of it right now is why is there no program uh, i'm often asked you know what's the nav neighbors program well there's a, a programmatic approach Uh, to loving your neighbors is not going to work so so those would be two resources that I, i think could be helpful
0: a couple that i wanted to mention one is we put together a quick study on the church through the book of acts and it's a simple google doc we set it up something you could go through in 30 to 60 minutes so i'm going to include a link to that Uh, I'll redo the the show description for this particular video, and there'll be a link in that description to that Google Doc if it's something that you want to check out or something you want to use with those. Uh, Ryan, you had the question about casting vision. This is a tool that might help you do that if people are willing to actually look at the Book of Acts and see how does it describe church. That's one that I would recommend. And then another is we did a couple of episodes on our Into the Harvest podcast last season. Episodes 9 and 10 that were that were on this topic where we were able to go a little bit deeper. What does church in the harvest look like? And what would it look like for you if you began to live this out? So I would also encourage people to check out the podcast. You can go back episodes 9 and 10 we really dive into this particular topic so hopefully there'll be some good stuff for you guys in there Uh, well al i know you already shared a little bit about how people can connect with you through the navigator neighbors uh, website i want to thank everybody for joining us tonight Uh, we're going to be doing these conversations every monday this month at the same time so next week my guest is going to be g joe joseph and the topic we're going to be discussing is recovering the gospel message So you won't want to miss that. That's coming next Monday. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to our email list. We've got lots of great stuff coming out here in 2019. Um, And that's the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of it. So you can go to our website, intotheharvest.org slash subscribe and sign up for that. When you do that, you'll get a couple of free resources that we've put together to help you live out this ancient faith in modern times. So check that out into the harvest.org slash subscribe and Al, thank you again for joining me tonight. It's been, uh, it's been awesome. We'll keep the conversation going in the comments guys, but uh, we'll see you next week.